Welcome, friends, back to another episode of Mind Games. I'm Garen Emig of Sellout Crowd. I host the show. I uh, put it on with the hope that you join us. Appreciate you doing so every week. Appreciate you reading our content at selloutcrowd.com every week. Before we meet our special guest of Mind Games this week, I want to thank our sponsors to the program. MidFirst Bank is on board once again. Two fellas, movers, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Next Gen Roofing, FireLakeJobs.com, 988, Oklahoma's Mental Health Lifeline, and our friends at Oklahoma Ford Dealers. Driving your best in Oklahoma Ford Dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. So my guest this week on Mind Games is an old friend of mine and an old friend of those who follow the Oklahoma Sooners. I'll bet, I'll bet they remember David Oven from his time at the Oklahoman. Chasing around uh, Bob Stoops some, Jeff Capel some, if I remember right. <laughs> Blast from the That's past. quite a season. My bad. Yeah. My bad. I think uh, uh, so that season, the very first game I covered as a professional journalist actually making money was the BYU-Oklahoma game. And then Oklahoma State also, I think, lost their opener that year. And then the basketball yeah. team flopped. And I remember uh, at some point, Barry pulling me aside and going, you know, before you got here, they used to play some pretty good ball around here. I don't know what happened. <laughs> so, so you, so it's you. It's, it was it you was me. That, that sent the, the, the OU program sideways in yeah. in two thousand nine. Yeah, um, man. Uh, now, Dave with the Athletic now does a lot of bigger stories than profiles of uh, Tiny Gallon or Tommy Mason Griffin or Willie Warren in that crowd. As interesting as they were, <laughs> that was quite a team. That was quite a My. team. <laughs> My goodness! What, yeah, Jeff. I, 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 one of these days, I want to have uh, a beer with Jeff Capel and ask him for the <laughs> what used to be off the record, on the record of, of what that was like um, putting up with that bunch. But anyway, um, we brought him on here. We, we might reminisce before we're done with him uh, about the Sooners, but and, and we do want to talk a little bit, perhaps, about uh, OU's bowl season playoff and all that stuff. But David, like I said, when I say he's on the more to bigger things, more serious things than OU sports. Um, I mean it. He was uh, in the eye of the storm, in, in a sense, in, in Las Vegas this week, where all sorts of stuff is flying around, partially caused by you, sir, uh, in, in, in a case of a column you wrote for The Athletic about chaos that is not just over the playoff committee's decision to leave out Florida State, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that got some attention, I hear. And then you have Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA, outlining a revolutionary is that is that too strong revolutionary proposal on it's complicated on we could get into it yeah <laughs> yes yeah, so, so it was yeah and we haven't gotten into it on mind games or i don't think across the network so mm -hmm. it's good that you're here with us for a lot of reasons um let, let's do this first let's get into charlie baker and what he's doing sure um for those who don't know we have an outline i think it's the, the best way to put it is some kind of an outline or a framework proposed by Charlie Baker, the new president of the NCAA, where schools, member schools can opt in. And if I've got term Important wrong, term, uh, term yes. wrong here, Dave, tell mm -hmm, me. That's right. Opt into a subdivision of, uh, of their, of their league or their or FBS where they, um, you, you, you put a minimum of $30,000. A minimum of 30,000 per, per athlete, year per, per athlete year. for at least half of your scholarship athletes. So okay. depending on that varies a lot. One of the things I was talking to some administrators about is 
if you're talking about the SEC or the Big 12 and you look at the Pac-12, the Pac-12 has a ton more sports. They have a ton more athletes. So mm-hmm. it might be that might mean $10 million, $12 million a year for UCLA, and it might mean $7 million a year for Texas or Oklahoma or whoever. Um, okay. very, it just going to sort of depend. But anyway, so yeah, 30000 a year minimum, which I think the simplest way to think about it is it's a lot like coaching salaries, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Not everybody pays $9 million, but you can. There's no rules against it. And if you have enough budget to pay you know, all your athletes a million dollars a piece, in theory, you could. Um, and so that will be a competitive element. Some head coaches make one and a half million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Some make five, some make nine. And so the idea is that you can do more for your athletes. Um, but then you sort of get in the details and it gets a little hairy. And this is such in its infancy. I think the simplest way to put it as far as Charlie Baker's letter and what it actually means is it's like, uh, the egg was sort of fertilized, <laughs> But there's okay. a lot of things that have to happen between now and then. Okay. You, to say it's in its infancy is almost to say it's that's too mature. This is an idea, right? Okay. And this is the NCAA's president softening on the idea of paying players directly from the school, which in itself is a revolutionary idea. Yeah. This is just a letter from the president recommending right. this is what we should do. So getting there and dealing with the details is really, really complicated. So it's a mammoth shift in that you have the uh, NCAA president saying, I like, I think we should move to a model where the schools are cutting checks to players, but there's still no profit sharing. There's still no collective bargaining. Mm -hmm. Um, The NIL piece is interesting because schools can enter into that directly, which would bring a lot of your NIL operations underneath your university umbrella. I was talking to people on on Tuesday, bad day to run a collective. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes. So, and that and that and the NIL point was was the next was the next jumping off spot is that part of the the word the verbiage of this is schools take more. It's schools doing their own NIL uh, facilitating NIL deals, not outside party collective. Uh, yeah, I entities. think the, I think the the machinations would be the same. I think that schools can. This is competitive sport. So schools can, uh, you know, clutch their pearls at NIL becoming de facto play for pay for play, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of what's happened. But at the very least, I don't think this changes that. It just brings it under the roof. So you can say we're only doing, quote unquote, real NIL, you know, commercials, all that stuff. But it's still going to influence recruiting. It's mm-hmm. still going to influence how much talent you have on your team, your ability to retain talent, your ability to attract new talent. So I don't think that it will change a whole lot about the infrastructure around Mm -hmm. the influence that NIL has if NIL goes in-house. You can Mm -hmm. not play the game, and then you're going to lose a lot of the games. Mm -hmm. Baker's term for the pot is a trust trust fund? Is that yeah. right? That's, is so that, it wasn't it, really clear. Like, if you get, I don't think he explicitly said it pays out after graduation, but I believe that's the case because I was talking to some financial people in Vegas, and one of them brought up the point of like, okay, well, if we're going to get into the details on this, so let's say that you spend two years at a school, and so you've accrued sixty thousand dollars. But then you transfer. You're not on the field. It's not working out for you. You transfer down to a school that has not opted into that subdivision to play. Well, do you still get that $60,000? Does it disappear? Mm-hmm. What happens to that? 
These are all things we don't have answers to right. because it's so, so early. It's interesting. It is somewhat revolutionary in that someone like this is saying that um, mm-hmm. because we just have not seen that. But it's also nothing and not nothing. So mm-hmm. uh, it's very – I think the, the word that I heard a lot from athletic directors I talked to was, well, it's something and conversation starter. I think are the mm-hmm. two things that came up the most. Mm-hmm. Caps on rosters, caps on scholarships. Also, you can debate. Only- yeah, you can. That's up for the basically. So the schools already have autonomy. Um, you know, the the called you know the Power Five is basically the autonomy five. Uh-huh. But if you opt into the subdivision, then that would give them the luxury to create their own rules around that. Because this has been okay. a complaint for a long time before any of these changes is. What does Alabama football have to do with Hampton softball? Mm-hmm. What does Texas basketball have to do with, you know, North Carolina women's lacrosse? These are totally different, like, uh, just situations. They don't mm-hmm. have anything in common. Mm-hmm. And the NCAA is, you know, 360-some schools with a bunch of different sports, some that make money, some that don't. And so the idea is that you'd get more like-minded institutions that are working for the same types of things and have the same interests and same, uh, just more commonalities. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to because if you're trying to pass rules, well, the big schools are outnumbered, and so there's a lot of stuff that the big schools would like to do that right. have been a really difficult time to a difficult time passing. And so that's the idea that whether that is scholarship limits roster sizes anything basically you could make up whatever rules you want if the membership agrees to it if you've opted into this higher subdivision Mm -hmm. i want to throw another thing that's come up when past discussions about compensation have uh, reached a new level and that is uh olympic sports slash title nine the the endangerment essentially that's that's been sort of a reflex argument against right is that what you know we have to have football in-house because without football being in-house, we can't fund, uh, to your point, Hampton softball or, or, or uh, you know, Big 12 or Big 10 crew or, so, or something like that. Is, is there an element of, of, uh, of, of equality of Title IX here that, that either Charlie Baker has addressed or, or is sufficiently uh, thought of uh, based on what you, what you know of this proposal? So the direct payments from the schools would obviously have to be Title IX compliant. But I mean, mm-hmm. I, I hit on this pretty frequently. Schools love to threaten to cancel sports when they talk about this. Well, we have to cancel sports to be time. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. You can change your budget, but nobody wants to change their budget. And that doesn't necessarily mean cutting, um, you know, your coaching salaries necessarily. But like coaching salary, if you want to look at where the money has gone as the money yeah. has exploded, I mean, this is why I've talked about college sports as an exploitive enterprise because if you look at it the amateur model made sense in 1991 1990 the money wasn't quite this crazy but now as things have exploded and you have billion dollar tv contracts and Mm -hmm. unpaid athletes it doesn't make sense the amateur model is broken um because the money has gotten so outrageous well where has that money gone coaching salaries and facilities that's pretty much right where most of it goes your stadium has got to be state of the art. Well, we want to use our team facilities as recruiting, uh, you know, things. And we're a nonprofit, so we can't be building a war chest. If we make money, we've got to spend money. So that's why everybody says they're broke because, well, if your expenses change, we already have these built in. It's basically like if you were operating your household 
and it was against the rules for you to have more than $10,000 in the bank. Well, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, all your expenses are about to go up 50%. Yeah. Well, you'd freak out too. Right. But that also means you're going to have to make some changes in your house. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is kind of where college sports is, is nobody wants to do that. And so the first thing is, well, we're going to have to move to a smaller house because we got to cut out all these people that we're paying for. Yeah. And, you know, nobody's asking you. You could give up a few, a few of your kids, send them yeah. off to the orphanage and do whatever you wanted to do. But you don't have to. You can cut right. other places, too. But it might be painful. That's this is where we are in college sports. Yeah. I, the economics are so broken beyond belief that I, you know, I could talk about this for hours. Yeah. No, I hear you. That's, that's for a series, for sure. You, you, <laughs> you've, hinted, you've hinted at, at sort of the, uh, the, the initial impact or the initial reception that this got while you were out in Las Vegas. What, how would mm-hmm. you characterize that? I think, Brett, your, you, quote, you had a Yormark quote in your piece that was pretty positive. Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner. I think he used the term. No, I do. I, I've got it right in front. Transformative moment. So sounds like mm-hmm. he's pretty intrigued. I don't know. Well, if I think the one thing board. that, yeah, the one thing everybody can agree on is this is not sustainable. The current state. Right. Uh, I think Greg Sankey said, you know, uh, Roy, he's talking to Roy Kramer at the, he, he went to the College Football Hall of Fame and he said, I think Roy was the commissioner of the SEC in, for 20 years. I think he ended up on Capitol Hill once or twice. He's like, I feel like I'm there once or twice a month. There's so everything you do right now, you are walking into litigation, and that makes things very difficult. Well, that's what happens when you have a business model yeah. that yeah. in a Congress that can't agree on anything, the one bipartisan issue is college sports, the economics are broken. Mm-hmm. The left basically sees it as, hey, this is you're breaking workers' rights. You're taking advantage of people. The right sees it as, well, this is a free market that you're not allowing to exist, that clearly there is a value for these people's services, and you are artificially limiting it. So you've got – I mean, I, I was talking to one AD who said, listen, you're talking about Roe v. Wade goes to the Supreme Court. It passes 5-4. This is a very contentious issue. Mm-hmm. We go to the Supreme Court. We lose 9 nothing. There's no – there's yeah. like the, things have to change. And right. so right now, the status quo is not an option, and that is what you've got to wrestle with. And so, you know – this is why nobody is throwing a parade for Charlie Baker to say, oh, what a forward-thinking um, you know, guy that is finally changing the system. No, 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 no. You've been bullied by the courts into yeah, where you are right that's now. Right. So that's yeah. where we're at, and they have to change. But what that change looks like is going to be a debate that is years in the making. Yeah, your mark used the term transformative in your piece. I also think he used the term proactive. I don't think that's it. I don't th- I'm not sure that I'd use proactive. <laughs> well, they're not being forced by a court to specifically change, but they know that they're one step away from that. Mm-hmm. So you got to. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, calendar-wise, if we're thinking about this in terms of uh, if, if this is sub-infancy, Mm-hmm. What where, where's the next benchmark here, David? Where what where's the, when's the next convention slash committee meeting that, yeah. that this gets for the discussion? So the NCAA convention is right off the back of the national championship game, so it's in about a month, and this will obviously be a huge topic of discussion. But I think agreeing on some rules of engagement, um, mm-hmm. because I think the one thing that you had a lot of athletic directors saying, you know, when I talked to him was, "I'm glad we're doing something." But we got some issues in the details, and mm-hmm. nobody really wanted to go out on a limb and attach their name to like specifically like, oh, we need to do this, we need to do this, right? Yeah. And then from the smaller schools, there is a fear of 
further separation of the haves and have-nots. Well, so we go to the NCAA convention. There's going to be a lot of smaller schools, maybe schools are on that cusp, that are pushing for their own interests. And, okay, well, if we're going to do this, what does that look like? And, and maybe we don't have an opt-in system, ultimately. Maybe, I, I don't really know. I think what, what, um, uh, what Charlie Baker drew up is, is sort of makes sense in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I still think it's a half measure. I think, you know, one person I was talking to out there is like, was saying, hey, this all sounds nice. Mm-hmm. But who is representing the players mm-hmm. and saying, oh, we like this. We want to do this. Well, they're not. And this is specifically engaged, specifically designed to avoid collective bargaining yeah. and to get around employee status. That's Nobody right. wants them to be employees. And they have talked themselves into this idea that athletes don't want to be employees. Well, I think a lot of those conversations start with a lot of scare tactics of like, mm-hmm. Well, you have to be taxed on this. You have to be taxed on that. And then uh, I can't remember which commissioner it was was on stage, sort of talking about, you know, well, so I can be, you know, I can be fired now. And was it, what about is that, you know is am I fired because of my athletic performance or my academic performance, which is which, which is maybe the biggest, like, uh, you know, red herring, whatever we want to call it, mm-hmm. faulty argument in this whole debate of the well, they can be taxed and they can be fired, uh. Garen, if you made three times as much as you made today, your taxes would be higher. Did you know that? I, I, ha- <laughs> I, I might figure it out at some and point. And so, you know what? And so I think like most people, if they said, hey, yeah. I'm going to be making more money. And they said, well, but you're going to be taxed on it. I would say, you know what? I'm going to back off. I'm going to back yeah. off. I don't want that money. I don't want to deal with the taxes, right? It's, hmm. it's insane. And then the firing aspect of it is, you know, I don't know if you guys have been following what Deion Sanders has been doing. But what he did was more explicit than a lot of coaches. You can get fired now. These scholarships are like year to year. And if you're not fired explicitly or formally, they will run you off. They will mm-hmm. find ways to get you out of there. You mm-hmm. can be fired now. There is no downsides to this. And I think that they talked themselves into that because, like I said, it goes back to the budgeting um, you know, analogy of like, they don't want them to be employees. And yeah. you... And coming up with this weird Jimmy rigged system of yep. loopholes and exceptions. Uh, and I think it was Charlie Baker. I forget, he said, you know, we don't want an antitrust exemption. We just want a little antitrust. We literally mm-hmm. said that on the stage. So it's like, okay, like that's no, that's not a thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, antitrust exemptions are much like pregnancies, not to belabor the new life for, uh, 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 uh analogies but like you either have one or you don't yeah there's no little antitrust exemptions so this is all i mean again i i always come back to anytime you're talking about the economics of college sports what is the quote that if a man's salary depends on him not understanding something it becomes very hard to get him to understand something and that's where we are like Mm -hmm. if you don't want to operate like a normal business and pretend to be a nonprofit Mm -hmm. and want all these exceptions when everyone else in the world that has any common sense, whether they're in Congress or a normal person who understands this, looks at you and says, that's a business. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Yep. And to underscore the point that, 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 that you know, a $30,000 trust fund or schools taking over NIL compensation is, is, is going to all of a sudden solve this, solve this, uh, this general problem. The, the churn continues, right? Uh, I think seven different states filed suit today about 
the NCAA waiver transfer waiver process. I've lost count of how many that's suits. Today. About yeah, how I mean, many that's things all, like that's, <laughs> that's going down today. And uh, elsewhere, the Alston firm, I believe, has filed another uh, suit mm -hmm. over the the NCAA's uh, draconian pay for play uh, argument. Uh, so this this is the the, on, the legal onslaught continues regardless of how transformative or even revolutionary this might seem. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's probably to the fault of the last however many years of, of backward thinking. And the main it, reason that they fear all that legislation is because they point to that Supreme Court Alston decision. They that's lose, right. They lost 9-0. They know they're going to lose. There's a pretty strong precedent, and that's why they're so um, aggressive about trying to avoid litigation because they know if it comes down to it, they're yeah. going to lose. Yeah, yeah. Well, before uh, Chaz Baker got everyone's attention with regard to um, <laughs> flipping the NCA upside down, um, we were uh, we were immersed in uh, college football playoff controversy and and the shame of Florida State and what was going on with what the, the committee did, and you uh, used that to sort of uh, segue into another point of of contention with regard to just chaos, and that is in regard to just this collision between college football's postseason and offseason. I thought it was a brilliant column and under and and really laid bare just what's going on here this month I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, you know it, that's that was the focus is that you've got you've actually if it's possible to be sympathetic to college football coaches for their salaries and their and their as close power as it comes yeah. their <laughs> ego this this might do it the way you articulated uh literal chaos with regard to the calendar tell us tell us what got uh, the reason behind writing it and tell us uh, the reaction to it i think it's just seeing I mean, the portal opens up on Monday or opened up on Monday, I should mm -hmm. say. And I think you just look around and you see like there's so many things going on and it doesn't really make sense. Um, so college football, I mean, this goes back to the conversation we're having before is that college football can't put limits on any of this because if you put a limit on anything or you push back, you're going to be in court because you're limiting a kid's compensation. If you say, well, you're preventing me from playing for a year. Well, then I can't earn money. You're limiting my NIL. Mm -hmm. Point to Alston ball game over so they've because they were holding on so long to the old system which was never going to work they have accidentally legislated themselves into a situation where as i laid out friday you had the contact period open up for recruits so you can recruit. Mm -hmm. saturday you have conference championship games happen sunday you find out where you're playing for your bowl game monday the portal opens and so what is happening is you're recruiting your own roster making sure you keep guys out of the portal you're scouting the portal you're hosting portal visits you're recruiting your high school uh, class, and you're finishing that up, making sure you don't lose any of those commitments. And then some schools are hiring coaches. Um, you know, there, there's still some jobs that are open. A lot of those jobs now with the portal day opening, the, the coaching carousel calendar has moved up because you want to have your new coach in place by the time the portal opens. Oh, and next year, we'd be two <laughs> days away from 12 teams in the playoff playing for their life. I mean, yeah. some of those teams get buys. But the point is, that these things are all going to be happening at once. And I think that the simplest way to put it is if you compare it to the NBA and the NFL calendar, those make sense. The season ends. Then you have, you know, free agency and it's sort of reverse the NBA and NFL NBA, but the season's over. And then the roster construction happens. That is not the case right now in college football. It doesn't make sense. And when you look at, well, what can we do? Well, you're extremely limited because you are still tied to higher education, which means you're tied to a, an academic calendar. Right. And the academic calendar ends, obviously, right before Christmas. And the new semester begins 
you know, in early January. So if you're going to transfer or you're going to enroll early, you got to leave and you got to find a new place pretty quick. And all this stuff has to happen at once. And I don't know how you fix it. I think mm-hmm. I can't forget which AD was saying, well, what if we made December the retention period where you couldn't enter the portal, but you recruit your roster, you get those commitments and, and figure out who you got. And then maybe you guys say they're going in the portal, but you don't, you can't really talk to them yet. Then we know who all is going in. You kind of know what your roster looks like. And then January, you can go do that. I mean, in theory, you could do that. But a lot of these semesters begin like January 10th. So you right. want kids to make a decision in a week and move in a week. That's that's asking a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw some, even some of the feedback to, to your column was, well, just go back to one signing day in February. But that doesn't, if, if 80% of your class, if not 90, is enrolling mid-year, Mm-hmm. That they, need, they, they need to get that done now, not not in February. And so, yeah. and one of the one of the ideas I talked to was saying, "Well, let's just get rid of this portal period." Well, you can't do that. For one, you can't push back for all the Alston reasons and all the lawsuit reasons. Right, you're limiting kids, and kids want to get on campus so that they can start their academic career and be there for spring football. Um, and that's one thing that sort of complicates the calendar too. Is there's no such thing as there's no analogous thing to spring football in the NFL and the NBA. Like summer league is not really the same, and mm-hmm. mini camps and rookie camps are this is not really the same um, mm-hmm. in the NFL. Um, but kids want to do that. You you can't get rid of the early portal period. Um, and so it's messy. It's mm-hmm. too many things happening at once. And like I said, I think that the simplest way to look at it is conducting your postseason and your offseason at the same time. It's a little bit easier when there's four teams that are preparing. When there's 12, that changes the arithmetic some. And especially if you're trying to hire a coach that's in that 12, you know, you're going to have a G5 coach probably, you know, well, the G5 will be in there every year. Mm-hmm. That guy's going to be a hot commodity every year. You might have a coach moving up. You might be firing a coach possibly um, and trying to keep that roster intact. It's, it, the possibilities are endless for a just complicated, messy situation that doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, if you, and if the academic calendar is is what it is and it's you, you've got to adhere to it, I, um, I suppose then if you're looking at moving something and, and adjusting, to make it a little less messy and chaotic starting college football earlier. Is that even, I mean, that David, might help. I'm, that's the only thing that you can do because there's nothing stopping you. Like yeah. if you wanted to start playing games, like before classes start, maybe when classes started and start camp in like mid August or mid January or mid July, maybe I don't think that rules wise, you would be specifically pre- uh, prevented from doing so. Um, I, I think it would help it if you know if you move into this new subdivision, or if you make if, if you make players employees, you can have more control over mm-hmm. the movement because you're paying them. Right now, they're not employees, and what that gives you is zero control over where they go. Mm-hmm. And then when you have free transfers, if you are a first time transfer or someone who has a degree, well, then you have basically free agency. And I I don't think that all this is good for the sport as a whole. It's, it's mm-hmm. more good than bad uh, for the players to have the movement that they need to have. But for the sport, it's not healthy when you have a ton of players that are key contributors leaving um, every single year and it's sort of like you just sort of throw all these names in a hat shake it around and then throw it up in the air and he goes here and he goes here and he goes Mm -hmm. here and you got to learn all that again not great for the sport yeah well I I just know where I land on on again sympathizing with coaches I'm not programmed to sympathize for or with (laughs) right I mean I was I I dropped it on the Alamo press conference today where uh, Brent Venables and Jed Fish were talking about retention and the calendar and 
you know, Venables, who's bless his heart, he's still new at this, David. This is only his second year as head coach. And so it hasn't, mm-hmm. it hasn't taken, you know, 12, 15 years off his life yet. He, he, he termed it, it's like waking up on Christmas every day because he gets to, he gets to see what's out there. If, if he's going to lose Dylan Gabriel <laughs> to the portal, like he did Monday and Danny Stutzman to the NFL, like he might in the next 24 hours. Well, that just means I get to open a new gift and see. That's you know, like if Christmas happened on the stock market crash every year. <laughs> It's like I'm gonna, my team's gonna get decimated, well, but I'm gonna get these new guys. Yeah. So we'll uh, you know, that's just, but I mean, that's just too. That's how Venables operates, and that's just who he is. <laughs> Someone else is, you know, gonna dip their head in, you know, sulfuric acid in in response. You know, and I can't do this anymore. Or he's just gonna retire, yeah. like our friend mm-hmm. Bob Stoops did. Um, a few smartest years man ago. in college coaching. I gotta say, Garen, the worst take I ever had is after Bob <laughs> retired. I said, I think a lot of guys are gonna retire early. The money is so crazy, uh, you don't need it, and there's more and more demands. We've seen it, you know, uh, I think that some of the changes definitely impacted some of the college basketball retirements that we've mm-hmm. seen. Um, Bob might be the only one. Bronco Mendenhall's back in the game. I Matt saw Luke's that. back yeah. in the game. Bob's like the only one who got in his 50s and retired. These coaches are like addicted to it, man. They can't do anything else. I, I, it- I just can't wrap my head around that. I think, you know, Gus Malzahn is a good example of like he gets fired from Auburn and gets twenty one point three million dollars. Uh, if somebody was paying me twenty one point three million dollars mm-hmm. to not work, mm-hmm. well, it's my dream one day is to be a fired football coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's where ego comes back in. I mean, they they can't they can't they might be able to live with themselves for a few days on that kind of money. I mean, but after there's only there's so only so many um you know my ties in in turks and caicos that'll keep a coach's ego from saying i i know i can do this i've done it mm-hmm. I, I know i can be this big a deal again i just have to have the right situation i guess for bronco it's new mexico i i, I yeah i'd forgotten all about him until i i saw that um i here's what i would say dave i just saw bob uh at the burlesworth award on monday drake was up for mm-hmm. it, his son for the sooners and he still looks like a different guy acts like a different guy if you, if 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 uh, he's sort of a poster guy for um, the phrase, you know, 180 pounds of weight off your shoulder with with one moment, and he he just looks like a guy who doesn't have everyone's problems on his mind all the time, which is kind of what a head coach does at a place like Oklahoma. I I would say if if you're say Jimbo Fisher trying to decide what to do next, spend a couple of days with Bob Stoops either playing golf in Ireland. Right. Or, 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 you know, house shopping in the Gold Coast of Chicago or, uh, you know, pitching uh, rock and roll tequila. I, I think there's a life to be had there that's that's both uh, sane and, and profitable that doesn't involve the stress of college football coaching. But I've never done it. So maybe that's just me. It's funny. You know, I was talking to people. There is a sect of people and they don't have a job opening because Neil Brown coached his butt off this year and got it done. But there is a sect of people who would love to bring Jimbo home. If they if West Virginia has an opening, and I just can't wrap my head around getting seventy seven million dollars and then signing up to be mm-hmm. West Virginia's head coach, but there's going to be people that want it. We'll see. Is there anything left to be said about the old chaos? And that was the what was created by the uh, the committee on Sunday. Gosh, it feels like three weeks ago um, at least. But um, what? How'd you put it in the athlete for the athletic uh, recruiting wins over actual wins? Alabama, yeah, I think that's Florida State. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think you have undermined your entire event because the whole point 
of the playoff was people don't like split national championships. People don't like teams that deserve an opportunity to play for it, not getting that opportunity. Auburn in 2004, TCU in 2010-11. It's happened before. Mm-hmm. In the 14 playoff, we were supposed to avoid this. Well, I think ultimately, if Alabama had been left out, people would have understood. There'd be some people frustrated. Oh, it's silly to have a playoff without the SEC. That's true. You wouldn't have governors. You wouldn't have senators getting involved. (laughs) You wouldn't have people questioning the integrity of the process, which I actually think is unfair to that level. But if Florida State beats Georgia, they're going to have people that vote them number one. They're going to have a claim to the national championship. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to have a full split national championship, but your whole event was to create an undisputed national champion. And now you've opened up a road where that is not going to be the case with four teams. Mm-hmm. That's insane. So, you know, I am, I'm not a tinfoil hat guy on these things, but I do think that it is important to remember if we learned anything from this summer is that college football above all else is one of America's favorite television shows. And the playoff committee is casting a television show. I don't think that they specifically think about it like that. I don't, I think they do a really good job. I don't think I have any questions about their ethics or any of those things. But I think the idea of we need to have really compelling semifinals between teams that we think can compete. But my, my whole thing is it's just so unbelievably unfair to deal in hypotheticals and not Mm -hmm. in reality. Mm I just keep coming back to it. The, the the committee has never leaned on hypotheticals until now. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much said it. We didn't put Florida State in because we don't think that they can compete and win for an, and win a national title. I think Heather Dench's story we had, they had somebody explicitly say that. Mm-hmm. That's not part of what your right charges. Right. And so the to, and so I don't disagree with that. I think the playoffs going to be awesome. I don't think Florida State can win the national championship either. But to deny them the ability to play for that is right. like offensive to me as a college mm-hmm. football fan. And I think it's truly un-American that if you win all your games, period, you play two SEC teams out of conference, you deal with these injuries, and I, I think it's crazy to hold it against a team that they were able to beat a top 15 team with their third quarter, mm-hmm. third quarter, third string quarterback and say, yep. well, that makes them less worthy. It's yep. insane to me. But here we are. I agree with everything you said. I will be, I'll, I'll be glued to the set like everyone else because I think we got to, uh, the semifinals are going to be freaking. That's great. sort of the tough part about all this. Yeah, no, is I, like I want to see those semis a lot I, more. I don't really want to see Florida State in the playoff. Yeah, no, no, exactly. No, exactly. Um, you know, unless you're telling me that that you know somehow Johnny Wilson, who's already who's declared, is going to come back to school and that Jordan Travis, <laughs> Jordan Travis is going to meet Mr. Miyagi, right? And he's going to he's yeah. going to cure his leg. I don't, I don't either, David. I agree with you. Um, but I, but you can still, two things can be true. The second thing that can be true in this case is that Florida state, um, got screwed. And the thing that I keep, what was it? What does Bill Hancock said? No one point in the run up to the final selection that it's not necessarily the foremost deserving teams, best teams, not the best teams. deserving. Yeah. And here, and I, Dave, I've watched the, um, I mean, I watched Alabama and Gravedigger against Auburn. You, how many people are, tell, are telling you the week before the selection that Alabama truly is one of the four best teams when they had a, they were dead they were dead and buried at Auburn and not, mm-hmm. not not vintage Auburn, just Auburn. 
six and um, six or seven and five, whatever they finished that. Texas, yeah. start, Texas started November uh, by beating K State in a game that that really Chris Kleiman blew by going for a touchdown instead of a field goal to continue that game in Austin, and then turning around and beating TCU this year's TCU, not last year's, by a field goal. Mm-hmm. That was November. That wasn't September. Now again, mm-hmm. I saw Texas pick apart Oklahoma State. I think they should be in the playoff, mm-hmm. but you're being awfully loose with the term best team just based on when they're the best team. And that, yeah, I, I, I just, that just should have been 12 teams so many, so long ago, man, that, that, yeah, that's, that's where I kept falling back to is I know that there, there's always going to be argument. It's 13 and 14 versus 12, I guess, beginning next year, but at least we know it's not going to keep 13 and no Florida state out yeah. beginning next year. And I think one thing that people seem to be overlooking is that you had a true freshman making his first start in that game, and if you get in the playoff, you have a fourth-year junior that's going to be starting that game, Tate mm-hmm. Rodemaker. Mm-hmm. Brock Glenn is not going to play in the playoff. Right. And I, there's too much talk about the Louisville game, personally. Like, that's not the Florida State team that's going to be in the playoff, but that Florida State team will not be in the playoff. So. Nobody asked me for, their, for, <laughs> for the committee. I would have told them. I said, hey, because I wrote the column the Sunday after Jordan Travis got hurt. I said, do not let this team. Do not make this the reason this team doesn't get in the playoff. And maybe they read it and disagreed. Maybe they just never read it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, having raised Kane again, uh, you you got a you got a national champion in mind. I mean, Alabama's a favorite, but I think I'd take Texas. Mm-hmm. I think Texas mm-hmm. beats Michigan. I mean, beats um, Washington. Michigan Alabama is going to be really really interesting. Um, but I think Texas is good enough to compete with. Uh, Alabama on the lines and Michigan on the lines and more explosive and, and better skill position talent. They're, I think they're the best team in this field. Mm-hmm. How about, uh, how about Jim Harbaugh's act of uh, defiance slash whatever you want to call it, uh, turning the neutral viewer into an Alabama fan against <laughs> a Knicks pulling for, Nick, to do. pulling for Nick Saban, <laughs> right? America's I mean, team, America's team, Garrett. We're talking about America's team here. I, uh, and- I, I am of the mind that uh, I have some questions about the Big Ten's defensive numbers. Because mm-hmm. I think you look around the league, even the elite teams in the league, and people praise these games as defensive showdowns. And I'm like, where are these weapons and these stellar quarterbacks that these teams are? Because all I see is quarterbacks throwing the ball in the dirt on a six-yard out. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, you know, people point to, oh, Penn State, Ohio State. Uh, Michigan, they have these unbelievable defenses. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But if you look at if you look at who Michigan has played offensively, and you compare them to the three teams that are in the playoff, buddy, they're in a whole new different depth now. So we'll see. I'm excited to watch the games. Yeah, I am too. I am too. I I'll be curious to see. Uh, morbid, morbidly curious to see how Georgia and Florida State come out in the Orange Bowl, for that matter. Um, yeah, I kind of think Florida State's going to get smacked, but yeah. you know, the the thing that sucks for Florida State is if they win, first of all, they should declare themselves national championship, hoist <laughs> the banner, hold a parade. I like your um, question. Yeah, mail out flyers to right. the committee, whatever you got to do. But they're going to get hit with the well, Georgia didn't care, so it, uh, like I don't care mm-hmm. if you win that game, Florida, do your thing, or Florida mm-hmm. State, do your thing. I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, any just for the sake of our specific audience, David, do you have any any wisdom to pass along regarding uh, OU Arizona in the Alamo or Oklahoma State Texas A&M in the Texas Bowl? 
Uh, I did talk to cast. I talked to Jed Fish. I talked to Jed Fish for a little bit in mm-hmm. uh, in in Las Vegas, and I mean he's been one of the surprise hires of the last few years. Um, but that one two punch, man, with Tetaroa McMillan and, and uh, Jacob Cowing, uh, is really special. And and they stumbled into Noah Fafita. You know they 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 pulled Jaden Delora from Washington State. He had some good moments last year and a half, but then he gets hurt and Fafita rolls in there. I mean. Sometimes you trip and fall, and you find a pretty special quarterback. And and Noah Fafita, man, he is he is a baller. So that's mm-hmm. a really good team offensively. Arizona, they don't do a lot of like super crazy creative things, but they're really good at what they do. Um, so they're not going to be doing a lot of like groundbreaking schematic stuff, but they're um, they're in a really interesting spot. Yeah. Um, and you said A and M, the other one, OSU A and M. That yeah, doesn't really I mean A and M for me, but the vibes. We, uh, uh, my my podcast co-host and I, uh, Ari Washman, have been talking about the bad vibe teams of the century. Uh, and if you look at this year's team, the UCLA team, USC, and A and M were like the trio of some of the worst vibes imaginable. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't even know who's still left to coach for A and M in this game. I have no idea. Bobby P's back in Arkansas. Jimbo's gone. Elijah Robinson's up in Syracuse. I'm not. I don't know who's going to be coach. I, I mean, have they I talked think about it's, this? I think at all? it's Elijah's game, but so I he's going to coach. I think he's going to coach, but it's felt like half the roster went into the portal yesterday. Yeah, so they had a bunch of guys like four starters. Yeah, I don't know who's going to coach. I don't know who's going to play. I mean, me personally, if I had gone in the portal, and I'm an eight M player, I mean, I'm not going to play in that game. So I don't. Yeah, you know, right. Uh, which is at the Texas Bowl? Which bowl game is that? Mm-hmm. Houston. Yeah. yeah, they're going. In, they're playing in Houston. I mean, that doesn't really get people that excited. So. No, not really. <laughs> you know, it's, what's interesting about Arizona, Dave, I spent the whole year thinking of the of the four of Pac-12 schools moving to the Big 12. The, the headache was going to be Utah because of Whittingham and all of it, all that mm-hmm. he's done with the Utes. I, I may have gotten that wrong. Maybe it's going to be Fish in Arizona. If, if Well, they'll have Rising back. They'll have Brant Keithy back, I presumably. I think Keithy's coming back. Uh, and they're they're still going to be salty on defense, so I I think a full strength Utah might be, mm-hmm. but Arizona's peaking at the right time. They'll lose Jacob Cowing, um, but McMillan will be back. You know, we'll see. I I think they're we haven't seen a lot of the sort of P five to P five moves, mm-hmm. um, so I think that the the learning curve will be different for them than it was for you know BYU or or TCU or um, you know any of the schools that have moved up. But in the same breath, you know it's the Pac-12 was the best conference of football this year. So I, I, yeah. it's, you know, you look at Colorado, you look at Utah, you look at them, it's like, this is going to be a step down for them in competition. So I'm excited to see yeah. kind of what that means and, and how much of an adjustment there is just in having to re-center uh, yourself in a new league. Okay. Two questions uh, to exit with, uh, a little more light uh, in tone, if you don't mind. <laughs> Favorite sooner to cover, I have to okay. ask. And it can be Tiny or, Tom, or Tommy Mason Griffin. It, it Gerald McCoy. Easy one. Yeah. And that was just enjoy the it was it was a conversation with him, wasn't it? Not so much an interview. Yeah, he was a, great. a willingness. A willingness. Yeah. I mean he, he always had his time. He was thoughtful. He was funny. Unbelievable player. Super right. fun to watch. Um so yeah, I would say probably him. Um I didn't spend a ton of time around Eric Stryker, but I think he would probably be on the list. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably those two. I'm, I'm forgetting somebody, but that's a good I, one. Who, who would be your Who would be yours, uh, Garen? 
Um, my, I always tell people my favorite was, it was always Taylor Griffin because we'd always yeah. ask him about his brother <laughs> and he was pretty good. Right. It's not like, it's not like he was, you know, the 12th guy who was getting mop up uh, time yeah. against, against, uh, uh, cop and state. I mean, Taylor was, was a legitimate a key player uh, on that team. Yeah. Right. And it felt like, you know, 80% of the questions were about Blake and, and yeah. he answered them all reasonably and happily and was very mature about the whole process. What's so Taylor always, doing these days? He was on, he got drafted by the Globetrotters. I remember that. Yeah, who, Taylor? Yeah. Yeah. He went, he was working with, with Blake for years. I don't think he is any longer. I, that's a great question. I, that, that deserves as much attention as what, what are tiny gallon and Tommy Mason. That sounds like a, that sounds like a good story for sellout crowd. Gary. All right. Favorite Christmas gift. Last one. The vault of David Ovens. I have received in my life. Yes. Since it's the season. Oh man. I gotta go uh Nintendo sixty four. Okay. Uh, when I was like twelve. <laughs> Listen. Uh Garen, I don't know that you can truly appreciate the first time that you ever <laughs> played Super Mario sixty four in a three D world like like your head just explodes. You're like, what is this? I can walk in circles. I don't have to go just back and forth. It's uh, so yes, the N64 probably uh, shout out to cruise in USA. Also bringing the, the giant arcade game home to my living room was a fantastic. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go Nintendo 64. I think I got that for Christmas when I was like 10 or 11. That's such a great answer. And it, it's a lot better than mine, which would be the, the old electric football. <laughs> where you, you plugged it in and it and it sounded like a space heater and the little plastic guys kept bouncing around and didn't really do anything. Yeah, but I've what, seen electric football. It sounds terrible to me. I don't get it. it no, all. it was. It, it was <laughs> when you plugged it. It was great until you plugged it in and realized what's the point. Because it was just so, twelve little or twenty-two little plastic guys just going their own direction. And the one with the yeah. ball could have been anywhere. He could have been in the kitchen by the time you unplugged it. But it, but, but to paint they paint the uh, jerseys and the helmets on the players, and to, <laughs> you have no idea. Nineteen seventy-five, what a big deal that was for uh, eight-year-old Gary. So I like yours is better, but I'll but I'll, I'll at least throw that out there. So shout out to Nintendo. Uh, I still, you know, I still I still get after some some. I've I've always been a sports video game person. Uh, so that and the first time I played Madden two thousand one on the PlayStation two. Were the two moments where I was like, I can't believe this is real. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> Shout out to David Oven and the Athletic for coming on Mind Games this week. It's been fun to <laughs> dig into his head, get his thoughts on a, on topics that he understands a lot better than I do. Hopefully, you now have a better understanding thanks to his help. We appreciate you tuning in. We know you have a choice when it comes to your podcast and written content we at sellout crowd do our best to make it worth your while every week big thanks to jacqueline musgrove our producer michael martin and michael lane for their efforts behind the scenes to make mind games and other sellout crowd podcasts possible until next week please stay warm and happy <laughs>